Search me out, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my restless thoughts. Please be seated. Well, good morning again, Christchurch. It is so good to be with you uh, here again, the second of three Sundays this month. Last week, we uh, introduced the topic and the theme of these three weeks. The lectionary is bringing our attention to three of Jesus' most well-beloved parables from Matthew's Gospel. Last week, we read the parable of the sower. This week, we've read the parable of the wheat and the weeds, or as some of us grew up talking about it, the wheat and the tares. And next week, we'll conclude with the parable of the mustard seed, among other parables. These parables are all connected by a common topic and a common theme. The topic of each parable has something to do with agricultural metaphors like planting or tending or harvesting. And as we know, growing things takes time. And while we can do a lot to prepare the soil or water our plants, the virtue that is required from every successful farmer or gardener is patience. Patience is the theme that connects all three of these parables. In fact, Anglican bishop and New Testament scholar N.T. Wright describes this section of Matthew's gospel as the parables of patience, where agricultural metaphors teach us something about that gradual unfolding of God's kingdom in our world and the need on our part for patient yet active response. Patience with persistence was the takeaway from last week's message. The parable of the sower teaches us that sometimes sowing doesn't yield the results that we hope for, yet Jesus still calls us to follow in his example of generously and graciously sowing seeds in the kingdom, even in the face of adversity and challenge. This week, we encounter sowing again. But instead of reflecting on the meaning of sowing good seed in all sorts of different kinds of soil, in this parable, Jesus raises the question of how do we respond to having bad seeds sown into good soil? And the response involves patience with prudence. Patience with prudence. So let's put today's story, today's gospel, in a modern day idiom. Imagine, if you will, that you own a beautiful home with an even more beautiful green lawn. This lawn is green like golf course green. So green, so weed three that it is the talk of the town and when people drive by they slow down to admire those tight edges and those mower lines, you know, the ones that you get when you go in opposite directions and just that lush green grass. I know that some of the men in this congregation are like, yeah, give me my John Deere tractor, I'm, I'm game for this. You can't take all the credit, though. The secret to your perfect lawn is that you've hired a local landscaping company, and they help you to keep it in shape. They water it, they feed it, they mulch it, and all that stuff. But nonetheless, this is your lawn, this is your grass, and it is magnificent. So you wake up one Saturday morning in July, and you go outside with your cup of coffee to admire that grass and you are surprised to be greeted by the head landscaper who has some terrible news. Apparently, earlier this spring, someone sabotaged your lawn. Maybe it was a jealous neighbor, probably. Uh, maybe it was some kids who snuck in one night this past spring, but whoever it was, they sprayed crabgrass seed, crabgrass seed, over your beautiful Kentucky bluegrass. And now it's midsummer, the crabgrass has taken root, and it's spreading, 
And it's really hard to tell the difference between crabgrass and Kentucky bluegrass, but the landscapers know it, and now you know it. So they suggest a drastic solution to this whole thing. Round up, kill it all. But the problem is you can't kill the weeds without also killing the lawn. And if you do this, you're gonna be left with a muddy, barren mess for the rest of the year. And instead of people driving by looking at how great your lawn is, they're gonna be driving by and being like, what's up with that guy's lawn? So what do you do? What do you do in this situation? Well, I'll tell you what I've done in my own life when I've had to tend lawns, and it's not at all what Jesus was due. I have tried to fix the grass by spraying and pulling and plucking out all the weeds, and somehow every time I just wind up with a mess of things, patches of bare earth and yellow spots all over my lawn. It's gotten so bad that my wife has forbidden me from doing any of this kind of weeding and lawn maintenance work. So... The landowner in Jesus' parable offers not only good spiritual guidance, but also sound landscaping advice. They approach this problem with both patience and prudence. They recognize that there are in fact weeds in the wheat, and they respond by knowing that there will be a time for action, a time to pull out the weeds, but that time isn't now. So this parable raises a host of fascinating theological questions, and it has been the source of debate throughout the church's history in talking about things like heaven and hell and judgment, questions raised about the problem of evil and the relationship of the devil to the problem of evil, even questions about predestination and election. And while all of these themes, hell, judgment, the devil, predestination, evil, they're so important and so worth reading and studying about, what I'm interested in this morning is how the disciples might have understood this parable in Jesus' day, how they would have understood it in a very, very specific way. And I invite you to recall last week's sermon where we talked about how Jesus' disciples were eager for the coming of the kingdom of God. And this kingdom they interpreted to mean particularly freedom from oppression and oppression from Rome, right here and right now. And it's strange, isn't it, that Jesus describes the coming of the kingdom using agricultural metaphors, since growing things takes so much time and patience? Well, the slow work of this coming kingdom is the subtext for today's parable as well. Many preachers at the time of Jesus, and many preachers before Jesus, preached about the coming of God's kingdom, yet for them, the kingdom was intended to be something that primarily benefited the inside group, the right sort of people, the people they thought who belonged. There were plenty of teachers in the time of Jesus who would have seen the weeds as the Romans, and they wanted to expel them. Maybe some others saw the Samaritans as the weeds, and they wanted to exclude them. Other religious factions might have also thought one or the other were weeds and they should be distanced from them. A prevailing interpretation of the kingdom of God in Jesus' time was that the kingdom of God may be coming, but it's coming for us and not for them. Isn't this just the most human tendency that you can imagine? We've got something good over here, but not for you. My beach is amazing, but you can't park next to it, as I'm learning. <laughs> Many stressed social groups, religious ones included, display an unhelpful, 
maybe even demonic tendency, to try to weed out so-called undesirables, to exclude people who are different, to make judgments about who does or doesn't belong. It's easy to assume that anyone who doesn't look like us or share our same values or share the same background, that they might be weeds, while we are certain that we ourselves are the wheat. Jesus' audience, I think, heard this parable as a caution against making snap judgments about who could be worthy to be called his followers. What we learn today is that following in the way of Jesus means that we let God decide who is part of God's family. Last week, we talked about patience with persistence, especially the need for patience and persistence as Christ Church is calling its new rector. When groups are in times of stress or transition, it can be so easy to turn inward and to put up barriers that separate us from our neighbors or to break into small cliques that are groups of like-minded people. At these times, it's really tempting to devolve into factions of name call and name-calling those who have different ideas from us. And maybe sometimes we fester our grudges into something more sinister. In this time of transition here in Christchurch, I invite you to exercise patience and prudence. Patience in that ongoing work of God and bringing about God's kingdom of love in this place. And prudence in our dealings with one another. We are all in God's field together. Amen. Amen.